Okay. Having prayed, we will now look into God's Word. Last week, we got through verse 20 of Isaiah chapter 44. Um, God is talking in the future to the future exiles in Babylon and Assyria and assuring them that He is all sovereign, that He still loves them, that He has a commitment to them, that He has chosen them, and that He is not going to cast them away. Those whom He foreknows, He does not cast away. So there is a bright future for the faithful people of Israel, for the faithful remnant. Okay, now, this morning we will start with uh, verse 21 and go through verse 28 of Isaiah chapter 44. And um, Mike, I'll have you read for us 21 through 28 of Isaiah 44. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Shout for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout joyfully, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into a shout of joy, you mountains, O forest and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob, and in Israel he shows forth his glory. Thus says Yahweh, your Redeemer, and the, the one who formed you from the room, from, from the womb. I, Yahweh, am the maker of all things, stretching out heavens by myself, and spreading out the earth all alone, causing the omens of boasters to fail, making fools of diviners, causing wise men to draw back and turning their knowledge into foolishness, confirming the word of his servant, and performing the purpose of his messengers. It is I who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited. And of the cities of Judah, they shall be built. And I will raise up her ruins again. It is I who says to the depth of the sea, be dried up. And I will make your rivers dry. It is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. And he will perform all my desire. And he declares of Jerusalem, she will be built, and of the temple, your foundation will be laid. Okay, good. And Laura, I'll have you look up Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 through 12, and then Dana, Romans 8, 22. Okay, now in this passage, the very first thing that he's that uh, <clears throat> the Lord says is, "Remember these, old Jacob." So he's calling them to remember. He commands his people here to remember. God's people should always remember what God has done for them in the past, and he commands them to remember two things here. Number one, that he what he the true God, the only true God, has done for them. 
commands them to remember that, plus number two, that they are His servants. Remember what I've done for you and remember that you're my servants. And in these verses, we read in verse 21 that He formed them and that He had remembered them. It says in the second half of the verse, I have formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. Now just to recall, Israel and Jacob is the same thing. Jacob had his name changed to Israel by God. So Jacob and Israel in this verse are the same thing. Now it appears like the Jacob, Israel here, are not actually in touch with reality. They have forgotten what God has done for them and that He had formed them, that He had chosen them, that He had remembered them. So He is bringing them back to reality here. And then in verse 22 it says, I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions. And so He has forgiven them. Of course, this is in the future tense really. This is for people down the road. Plus this would be for the people that he is talking that Isaiah is talking to there. I have blessed I have blotted out your transgressions, your sin, and like a cloud your sins return to me, for I have redeemed you. So God, for his faithful people, he has forgiven them their sins, and he commands them therefore to repent, to return, to turn, because he has redeemed them. They have responsibilities now. So remember these things. And then there also in your notes, these things have been so wonderful that the Lord commands all of creation to rejoice in seeing in verse 23. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, you mountains. Here we have another new song that will come about with further revelation from God. So, this is just kind of a foretaste of what we read in Romans 8.22. Diana, will you read that for us, Romans 8.22? We know that the whole creation runs and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Alright, so we have the idea from Romans 8 and here that when God brought the curse upon the earth because of Adam's sin, that the earth... was cursed. But it seems like the earth knows that the day is coming when that curse will be removed and all of creation will be renewed and all of creation will be rejoice in the Lord. So this little passage here shows that all creation will be renovated. So from the Christian world and life view, we know that this creation is groaning and birth pains now, but it will all be renovated. It's like creation has a mind of its own. All right, moving on in verses 24 through 28, God proclaims that He determines history. It says, Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, He who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord, 
who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads abroad the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of the babblers and drives diviners mad, who turns wise men backwards and makes their knowledge foolishness. So it's God that determines history, not babblers, diviners, or any other so-called wise men. He warns His people not to look for signs, but to look at Him. I'm glad we don't have that problem in this country now, right? If people don't go looking for signs, but they all they look in the Bible. Okay, Laura, if you'll read for us Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 through 12. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering, and do not let your people practice fortune-telling, or use sorcery, or interpret omens, or engage in witchcraft, or cast spells, or function as mediums or psychics, or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. It is because the other nations have done these detestable things that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. God detests fortune telling. He detests anything that smells of it. The uh, New King James says it's an abomination to God. So all kinds of spiritists, fortune tellers, they're all detestable. In God's sight, He hates them. Any comments on that? One of the things we're going to find in the study in Revelation today is that that problem persisted right into the New Covenant Church. I mean, uh, the, the criticism, especially to, to the church by Tyra that we'll study today, is almost exactly the same problem. Yeah. I guess we've always had that problem. I guess we always will. I know we have it now. I don't think you see as many signs up along the road like you did for a while about a sister so-and-so uh, come in and we'll tell you fortunes. Yeah. There used to be one out on points at Highway. I don't know whether she's still operating or not. But about in every city you had one that would be a sorcerer of a sort. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen those, but I have seen huge, huge signs with er, with uh, Mary on them saying uh, Mary, Empress of the or Queen of the Americas, you know, and that kind of stuff. So that's that's the same kind of idolatry. You know? Pop readers, and yeah, used to have them at carnivals around. That would be the gypsies, you know, that followed that. A lot of them followed that kind of thing. Ouija boards. Yeah. When I was a teenager, I became an expert on palm reading. That's why I became a Christian. <laughs> I don't read palms anymore, though. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I got to start telling you things about me, I guess. <laughs> okay, good. Alright, so we read in verse 24 here, back to your notes, that He is the Creator and Redeemer. He is their Creator and Redeemer and the Creator of all things. 
He says, He formed you from the womb. I am Yahweh who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads abroad the earth by myself. I had no help. He assures them that His messengers, the prophets, are the ones who speak truth. We read in verse 26, who confirms the word of His servant and performs the counsel of His messengers. It says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited and to the cities of Judea, uh, Judah, excuse me, you shall be built and I will raise up her waste places. So he is telling them, there is no need to look anywhere else besides to my messengers. And in, a, in the modern day, this would be apostles and prophets. There is no way, no reason to look anywhere else besides to me and my messengers uh, for future things. If you look anywhere besides me, it is detestable to me. It is an abomination to me. You look to me. Um, he assures them that his messengers speak truth. There is no need to look for, to fortune tellers or astrology. Because in his total and complete sovereignty, he will even raise up Cyrus to perform his pleasure. We will be getting into more into Cyrus this morning. And therefore, his people will return to the land and rebuild Jerusalem in the temple. And according to verses 27 and 28, he says to Cyrus, He is my shepherd. He shall perform all my pleasure. Saying to Jerusalem, You shall be built. And to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. People will return to the land and rebuild Jerusalem and the temple, according to verses 27 and 28. Know how specific verse that should be, verse 28, and compared to Ezra 1, verses 1 through 4. And so he says to Cyrus, He is my shepherd, he shall perform my pleasure. Very specific. Here is one human being he singles out that nobody has ever heard of before. So before we move to the next lesson, I'll ask you all if you'll look up for us. Ezra 1, verses 1 through 4. I need a road map to Ezra. Yeah. My Bible says it's 100 years before Cyrus was even born. Yeah. <laughs> well, so who is Cyrus, right? Well, in chapter 45, he tells us who Cyrus is. It's short. It's right after the historical books. In fact, it is in the historical books. It's after Second Chronicles. After Second Chronicles, you have Ezra and... Now, I'll tell you when to read. On the whole page, it would be remember. God commands His people to remember. Right. And uh, Bud, will you look up for us 
Ephesians 1.11, and then after that, read 3.11. Ephesians 1.11 and 3.11. And then, Pastor, if you will look up for us, Daniel, the prophet Daniel 2, verse 39, and then 4, 28 through 33. What was that again? 239. Uh, 239 and then 428 through 33. Okay. And Elaine, Daniel 5, 1 through 6. And then Kim, verses 30 and 31 of Daniel 5. And I'll tell everybody when to read. All right, and so this everybody's read. Okay. And Laura, I will have you to read for us. Our passage, Isaiah 45, 1 through 8. This is what the Lord says to Cyrus, his anointed one, whose right hand he will empower. Before him mighty kings will be paralyzed with fear. Their fortress gates will be opened, never to shut again. This is what the Lord says. I will go before you, Cyrus and level the mountains. I will smash down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. And I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. I will do this so you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. And why have I called you for this work? Why did I call you by name when you did not know me? It is for the sake of Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. I am the Lord, there is no other God. I have equipped you for battle, though you don't even know me. So all the world from east to west will know there is no other God. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I create the light and make the darkness. I send good times and bad times. I, the Lord, am the one who does these things. Open up, O heavens, and pour out your righteousness. Let the earth open wide, so salvation and righteousness can sprout up together. I, the Lord, created them. At the end of chapter 44, we are introduced to Cyrus. And now we get some very specific information about Cyrus, what he's going to do. Alright, to introduce this after we've had it read... Let's have Ephesians 1.11 and 3.11 read. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. So that says the Lord works the big things according to the counsel of His will. No, not hold on. It, he works all things to the counsel of his will, yes. Alright, 3.11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he is realizing Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, God determines the future. God has an eternal purpose. 
God works all things to the counsel of His will. So he gets very specific here with a man named Cyrus that will be come on the scene a hundred years later, as Kim has pointed out. So here we are going to look at God's eternal decree. And He comforts His people uh, that are in trying times with this. All things are under God's control. He has an eternal decree and Cyrus is nothing. Alright, back to your uh, notes here. In the last verse of chapter 44, God was speaking through Isaiah about Cyrus. But in this chapter, He speaks through Isaiah to Cyrus. Alright, we have all this information about Cyrus. Let's see what actually happened in Ezra 1, 1 through 4. Now in the first year of Cyrus king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Okay, that's good. <clears throat> so we see at least Cyrus is here acknowledging that God has given these kingdoms to him and that God has commanded that the uh, Hebrews return to, to the land and build a temple. So Cyrus was a good, strong Christian man in covenant with God. Is that right? I have a note. I have another note. <laughs> now, um, Cyrus was thoroughly pagan. Is what Cyrus is doing here is just trying to get God on his side by being good. He, he did that with other nations too. He, he was really helped out whoever he conquered, hoping that their God would also help him. So this doesn't mean Cyrus is a saved man. This doesn't mean, mean that it's so important for him to obey God. He does it uh, purely selfish reasons. Yes, Mike? This prophecy about uh, Cyrus is so specific that there must be many, many uh, commentators that, uh, you know, they, they must say, no, this isn't part of Isaiah. Right. And you're absolutely right. There's a lot of late date. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, way specific. Quote unquote scholars yeah. that are really unbelieving. No. God foreordains whatsoever comes to pass. We're talking about God's eternal decree here. Um, all this was settled before God even began to create, all this was settled from eternity past. And our confession uh, confesses this in chapter 3, 
which is of God's eternal decree. It says God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so, as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. And in section 2, although God knows whatsoever may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions, yet He hath not decreed anything because He foresaw it as future or as that which would come to pass upon such conditions. So, God has an eternal decree, as we read in Ephesians, and um, as we read in the Confession, and He is bringing it to pass. Now, for the historical context of this, let's have Daniel 2.39 read. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze shall rule over all the earth. Alright, and now Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he asked Daniel to interpret it. It was a statue, a kind of a complex statue, and it had four different parts. And in Daniel 2.39, where it says, after you shall arise another kingdom. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was the one he was talking to. And so the kingdom that came afterwards was the kingdom that Cyrus would eventually rule. Alright, Daniel 4, 28 through 33. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is it is not this great Babylon which I have built by my power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as an eagle's feathers and his nails were like a bird's claws. Alright, as prophesied, Nebuchadnezzar would fall one day, but the kingdom had been given to him. He was walking out, he was taking a walk in his house saying, I have built this great kingdom. And God comes to him and says, No, you have not. You have no influence on history. I have given you the kingdom. I call the shots. So it was immediately shown to Nebuchadnezzar upon his boast that God was God and He was not. Alright, and then... Daniel 5, 5-1-6. through 6. I believe it is, yes. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar 
his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and their, his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. Uh, we see the arrogant um, Belshazzar uh, <clears throat> was mocking God, in other words, and God brought so much terror upon him, he virtually wet his pants. He went in his pants. That's what that means. And then uh, God had humbled Nebuchadnezzar. Now he's humbling Meshazzar, Belshazzar. Alright, and then now let's have that last section read. Um, let me find my notes here. Um, verses 30 and 31. Chapter 5, verse 30 and 31. The same night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain. And Darius of the Medes took the kingdom being threescore and two years old. Alright, that's where the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians took over, uh, conquered the Babylonians, just as was shown. And God raised up Cyrus later, as we read in Ezra 1, to bring the people back. So God had prophesied these things there would be the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. Babylon would fall. We saw how arrogant Babylon had become. And they make a feast mocking God. And that very night, that very same hour, the New King James says that same hour, the Medes and the Persians overtook them. And then later King Cyrus was raised up and he let the people go back to the land. So we see how God is the God of history. He has an eternal decree. He declares it by His messengers like Isaiah. And it did come to pass. It's a hundred years later. But it came to pass. Any other insights on what we've looked at so far? Okay, getting back to your notes. Verse 1 informs us about these things concerning Cyrus. Cyrus will, God will take Cyrus by the right hand and he will lead him. God will lead Cyrus and he will use him to subdue nations. He will use him to disarm kings and he will use him to open doors so his people will be able to return. That phrase where it says in the New King James, loose the armor of kings, that's a very literal translation of disarming kings.
And then in verse 2, he still stays specific. Verse 2 and 3, he tells Cyrus, he will go before him to smooth things out, make the crooked places straight, and break to pieces the gates of bronze, and cut the bars of iron. So he will make things, smooth things out, and he will shatter his enemies. And he will give him great treasures. It says in verse 3, I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that you may know that I, the Lord, call you by your name. I am the God of Israel. For, my, Jacob, for Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have called you by your name. I have named you though you have not known me. So it's Yahweh and Him only who appoints Cyrus. He equips Cyrus and He gives him success. It is Yahweh who will cause all these things. He is in control. He is absolutely sovereign. Cyrus, you're nothing. You're not even dust on the scales. You might be great in people's eyes, but you are nothing. I just raised you up. Okay, let's see. Dana, will you read for us when I tell you to? Um, Romans 9, 16 through 18. And Jill, Exodus 9, 15 through 17. Okay, when I tell you to. Alright, the reason that he is calling Cyrus, telling Cyrus all this so that he will know that what he is doing is actually Yahweh's doing. It is not you, Cyrus. It is Yahweh that's doing these things. And in your notes, anything Cyrus is or anything Cyrus does is of God. Even though Cyrus is a pagan and does not know the covenant Lord of Israel, the covenant Lord of Israel does know Cyrus and he is raising him up for one purpose, to do his will and to make men realize that he is Yahweh, that Yahweh is God, the only God and the sovereign God. All right, Romans 9, 16 through 18. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hearts whom he desires. God raised up Pharaoh. Pharaoh thought he was really something. But God says, I raised you up, Pharaoh, to glorify me. And that's the only reason you're there. All right, Exodus 9, 15 through 17. Now if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Uh, through 17. As yet you exalt yourself against my people, in that you will not let them go. 
Okay, so God raises up these pagan rulers who all think they're really something. And then he brings them down. They perform his will, then he brings them down. They really think they're something, but they are nothing. They are only used by God to glorify (coughs) his name and for the good of his people. He still does it. Look in Revelation chapter 1. I'm getting awful close to your sermon, huh? Yeah, you're going to run into the territory there. Verse 4 of chapter 1. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you in peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Things have not changed. We may, we may fret at what we see with our very wicked leaders, especially at the very top, but our wicked leaders are going to bow the knee before Jesus Christ. And they don't realize that Jesus Christ is their ruler. I don't care who you're talking about, whether it's Putin or Adolf Hitler or whoever. Jesus Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And the Christians, the church, should realize that and proclaim it to the world unashamedly. We never see that. Jesus Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Okay, um, back to your notes real quick. God is the God of history in verse 7. Whatever happens, good or bad, it is God who brings it about. And He creates well-being. He creates calamity or evil, as the King James says. But He creates evil, which is better translated, I believe, as calamity. Um, and when he says he creates calamity, the same Hebrew word as is used in Genesis 1-1 is used, bara. He creates calamity. The same word as he creates the heavens and the earth. And then in verse 8, shows that the earth will be ripe for the new redemption that God will bring. Salvation will come from above. This ultimately points to Israel's true Messiah, Jesus. Salvation doesn't come from any worldly leaders. Salvation comes from above. I missed the three blanks before that last one. Okay. Um, I'll get with you right after right after this. We're running out of time. Because I'm not sure exactly where you are. But I'll get with you. Yahweh is, and He only is the one who appoints Cyrus, equips Him, and gives Him success. It is Yahweh who will cause these things. He is in control. He is absolutely sovereign. And anything Cyrus is or Cyrus does is of God. 
And God is the God of history. And what's the last blank? Uh, salvation will come from above. Okay, bud, please close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, again,